Hello everybody and uh, welcome to the 154th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. <clears throat> I'm delighted to say that uh, Debbie Clinton is joining us today. Hello Debbie. Good morning Frank, good morning Stan, lovely good to morning. see you both. Yeah, uh, Debbie, oh, I don't know how to word this, Debbie and I go back a long way. <clears throat> <laughs> Um, but um, we'll get on to Debbie explaining who she is and what she's done in a little while. We'll go to Stan because we didn't have a show last week, did we, Stan? But we, because I was in sunny Ibiza. But uh, how did you fill your Friday morning, Stan, without um, me? Uh, well, we filled our days because we are now on, on grandparent duty. We're looking oh. after a, a one-year-old full-time. Well, stop at seven in the morning till uh, five o'clock in the evening so filling our time isn't a problem <laughs> I know. Uh, what would the Ofsted early years inspectors consider the quality of the provision being offered is it have you got your curriculum plan and you know you're sort of managing things you're progressing from one day to the next as they expect you I to I think that's probably sums it up Frank we're just getting from one day to the next <laughs> In the in the short period that we've been looking at him, he's crawling now, which he wasn't doing as well before. He's trying to stand up. He's clapping his hands, and he's so we'll take all those as signs that he's. Plus, he's also had um, an ear infection, and his MMR jabs, which left him with a rash. Oh so dear. He's, been, he's been not well during that process as well. And I have to say that with so much stuff, which is, some of which is, is very negative this week, to hear that sort of positive story uh, about uh, a little boy who's really, in a way, he's, he's only one year old, but he's he's already had two lives, you know. So, uh, And it looks as though the second part of his uh, first year is a much happier part than the first part. I don't know if you can see this if I hold it up. This sums up this week. All right. For those those of you watching on the podcast, listening on the podcast, there's a little picture of a one-year-old in a paddling pool, and there's more water splashing than there is in the pool. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Debbie, uh, thank you for joining us. Do you want to just tell everybody who you are and uh, what you've done and what you're currently doing? I should perhaps preface my comments with the fact that my two and a half year old grandchild is due to arrive at 10. Now they're on strict silent warnings. <laughs> <laughs> All the doors are shut. <laughs> yeah, that's a similar experience to what I've had every Friday morning. But uh, yeah. My stepson is in, under clear instructions. <laughs> no, good morning, everyone. Um, it's really a, an absolute privilege to have been invited. Thank you so much. Um, I suppose I should start now and then work back. Um, I'm working at the moment as a freelance education leadership expert rather grandly. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm far too busy, uh, which I suppose is often the way, isn't it, when you think you're going to retire and it never kind of quite happens. So, but I do love it and I shouldn't, I'm not grumbling for one moment. Um, so my life begins as secondary history teacher. Um, I trained under Ted Rag, who was a... Oh, wow. Um, and I got to know Ted, God bless him, really well because I was part of the University Student Council um, in the particular um, education part, um, a kind of subcommittee, and Ted chaired that. Um, so it was he was just he was is as it, amazing as he always appeared. By is, the way. It, is it worth for those um, slightly younger watchers <laughs> and listeners to say that Ted Rag used to write 
on the, I think it was the, the back page, I think it was, of the of Times the, Educational Supplement. It did indeed. Every, every week. And uh, he, he was funny. He was pointed. And actually, at the time, it felt as though, wow, what a brave man to be, you know, truth to power um all the time you know yeah, and uh, sadly he died a, a few years ago but uh, uh yeah. yeah i mean just yeah left uh, a real legacy though didn't it yeah massive, yeah. massive. Yeah. And sorry to sorry to cut you off there debbie and of course of course and the intellect of the man and he was yeah he was brilliant he was an inspiration and i hope that i've lived my career in, in you know in, in his legacy really he trained me well um <laughs> So, yeah, so secondary history teacher then went, you know, through the ranks like you do um, and became a head um, in Middlesbrough in the northeast of England, where I now live. Uh, not Middlesbrough, but I do live in the northeast um, and had had a whale of a time, actually, for almost 10 years. Um, and, yeah, we were really, really proud of everything we achieved for that community and, um you know, all the gongs arrived, the Ofsted Outstanding Judgments and being mentioned in the House of Commons as a high achieving school and having Michael Gove visit us when he was Secretary of State, perhaps more of that later. Yeah. Um, and and just really happy, great days where, you know, when schools get to a point where they just run themselves and they're just amazing places. So that was lovely. Uh, I then met Sir Michael Wilshaw, as you do, um, at a conference and he was issuing that clarion call for uh, strong heads to join HMI rather than carp on the outside. Um, <laughs> so I did that. Um, and I, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Um, I was interviewed by Mike Cladingbowl, who another God in the world. Um, and yeah, that was a fascinating recruitment experience, which really brought home to me at that stage anyway, the real, rigour at the heart of what HMI were trying to be and to achieve. Uh, did about two years there and then went off to be the chief executive of a multi-academy trust in Nottinghamshire, now called the Diverse Academies Trust, then called the Diverse Academies Learning Partnership. Um, did three years there uh, and uh, loved that, but was asked to apply for a, a national role with the Academy Transformation Trust, which is a much larger um, slightly bonkers structured, actually, multi-academy trust. You'd never allow it now. You'd never allow it now. <laughs> a million years. Um, schools all over the place and, you know, really interesting. And um, I got to my third year there and I decided that the travel, so personal reasons rather than professional, really dictated my my then decision to to leave um, and to, as I said earlier, to retire Um <laughs> But that's just not really happened. And what I'm doing now is brilliant. Um, and the diversity really fascinates me. So I'm involved in reviews of governance at trust level. I'm coaching chief execs, coaching head teachers, carrying out school improvement, advisory work, all sorts of stuff, really. And it's, uh, yeah, I love that variety. But I have to say, and I think we've discussed this before, Frank, that the HMI honing, I thought I knew how to improve schools when I was ahead. And we did do an amazing job. But... I really know how to improve schools now. Um, mm. And that was my HMI, my HMI experiences. What, what, what yeah. years were you, what years were you with, uh, with the uh, 20, I was trying to recall this, to, I left in 2015, so therefore 2013. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so it was so under, under Sir Michael. Yeah, shortly after I, I left. Um, okay, uh, right, let's go to 
Uh, well, it's been a tumultuous week. You'll find out from what's caught our eyes this week. But uh, Stan, are you going to start with perhaps a, a little something slightly closer to home? Yeah. Um, what's not just caught my eye this week, but thrown me into a complete confusion, is that a former friend, colleague, um, has turned out, read in the paper, that he'd been arrested and jailed for uh, child pornography. And... Uh, just can't understand it can't what it's made me feel is i can't judge anybody anymore Mm. because there's absolutely no nothing that i suspected that that would have been wrong with somebody who worked in the education department in a local authority and was there on my appointment to headship that's how long i've known him um, was supportive when we when I was working for him under children's trusts. Uh, right when I wrote um, Lancashire's uh, leadership stuff, it was through the children's trust through him. Um, and he's one of a group that regularly meet, not frequently but regular for um, a drink as of old officers of the local authority. And there's a feeling of complete betrayal mm. in that group uh, and shock, and just can't you can't understand it. Yeah, it's interesting because last night the BBC ran a very interesting program looking at the um, the way that newspapers allegedly have been sort of tapping um, into people's phones, and it was really interesting. I think it was Simon Hughes, the Lib Dem MP, who I think was running for. Uh, leader of the uh, party um that they, they they had tapped his phone and uh uh and and actually he he decided that you know what they were going to release obviously meant they couldn't carry on going for this sort of um position but it, it for him it was the the fact that the information uh affected not just him but it affected his elderly mother his his very close family, the extended family, all of his friends, and 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 actually, what he was accused of is 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 not nowhere near as serious as what you you you, you know you were referencing. But it's just the sort of I don't know. It's the, it's it's like a seismic wave goes through everything, you know. And uh, he 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 found it you know, brutal, and he still finds it brutal, you know. Just and. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yes, yeah, it's, it's the impact on everybody else, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, and that, and that, just that feeling of well, I I never knew you then, mm-hmm. you know, despite the fact that I would say I'd known you a long time, I never knew, and and the you know people I've worked with, who I really really trust, who were closer to this person than I was in terms of of working with this person. Mm-hmm. I've had to ring them up and they didn't know. And so I'm having a conversation when I'm feeling shocked, where I'm realising the person I'm talking to is is even more shocked uh, and more hurt by it than, than anything else. That's horrendous. Yeah. I'm not going into the details, but the details are horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I'm venturing into stuff, thinking, you know, things spinning in my head about things that have happened that where I've been managing things, but it's probably best not to go down there. But no, um, and it's, I think two things. One is the shock of somebody you you assumed was was like yourself, and and clearly mm. is not. And then there's the you know, well, why didn't we know? 
Mm. Where were the clues <laughs> that we should have known? Where, you know, was there anything we we mm. should have been able to pick mm. up and and sort out much much earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think well, I'm fairly sure there wasn't, but it was um, it completely threw me. It's threw me for a week and a bit now. I just. It, I just really struggle, and I have to say, you know, I, I said a friend and a colleague, I was nowhere near as close a colleague as some of the people that I'm now talking to. Yeah, um, I, I was on the sort of periphery of I worked with the, the guy on a few projects, but not full time like others were. Yeah. So horrendous. Yeah, Debbie, what's caught your eye this week? Oh gosh, equally bleak, really. <laughs> <laughs> we base the tone later. Um, yeah. I've been really affected by the Nottingham killings this week. Um, I used to work in Nottinghamshire, I mentioned that earlier, and so it's a place that's close to my heart that I know well. Um, and one of the victims, very sadly, is a caretaker, was a caretaker at one of the schools of a very close colleague's multi-academy trust, and it bring it brought home to me sort of two two things really. The, the first one is that the the fragility of some of the concerns we have in our society now, um, and then the second thing, the potential ramifications and impact for children and young people in that area, and the ongoing challenge of of educators working in those those areas. Um, so yeah, terribly terribly sad um, and particularly because, of course, as with Stan's experience, although rather less disturbing, of course, because I wasn't close to it, really, really brings home to you um, the how, how, how dreadful things can be um, and how, how close they can get to you sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Very, very distressing. I, I think the other thing for, for schools is you want a sense of control. And when something like this happens you have to accept that you can't control things as well no. as you thought you could. Indeed. Um, I mean, I used to do training on critical incident in school and, and talking to, to people who've been through it, that's one of the real issues that you, you're suddenly not in control of everything that you felt in control of. And I, I do think that as, as a leader, that's the one of the, the wounds that you get when something goes horrendously wrong that's completely out of your control definitely I was um I was in a, a coaching session with a head teacher recently secondary head and um he had to immediately cut the coaching session because somebody had arrived on the corridor with a machete and and, and you know yeah. you, oh, sorry my my dogs are going to bark I do apologize I think we've had have we had rabbits scurrying? I yeah. think we've had you know, a variety of uh, pets. Yeah. So sorry. Um, the uh, yes, and and that you know, people. I don't. I don't think sometimes the the wider public, and it's not their fault. I'm not blaming anyone for this, but they just don't understand what people are dealing with sometimes in the in these sectors, do they? Because it's just so you really can't quite believe what's going on sometimes. Yeah. No, I, I, when I used to run these courses, it, we obviously we brought people in who, who'd experienced things, and there was a head of a primary school where, really sadly, a child had, had passed away in a sports event, and she said, "What what you can't get your head round is the fact that that I'm dealing with a child who, at the time, didn't know that they they were about to die." But at the same time, somebody's saying, well, nobody's put the orange juice out on the table for the race. Who's 
who's organising that and, and a parent coming to and st- all all this and then the next thing she's interviewed under caution from the police mm. you know and, and six seven o'clock at night you, you're interviewed under caution for something that's completely out of your yeah. your control just to just to lift it a little bit because <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went it. to <laughs> i went to uh uh our eldest granddaughter she's 11 i'll give her a uh, we call her Els bells but she's called eleanor went to her final sports day at um at primary school on tuesday and uh it was really interesting. My daughter, who teaches, who's been a guest here, uh, she teaches in uh, year two in a very different area. And uh, she, uh, Philippa, the, the, the teacher uh, who, who was coming along with us, w- said it was so, everything was so polite. Everybody was so polite. You know, there was sort of gentle applause as the child went round, ran down the, um, the uh, uh, to win the egg and spoon race holding the the tennis ball clearly with their hand you know on on everybody gently but nobody philippa said at her school they would have been shouting cheat cheat var var they probably would have she said there would have probably been a bookies office so somewhere over here where the you know somebody there was some betting going on even if it was sort of but it was just that sort of contrast between where you know the, your reality of life as it is and particularly when you become like i have now partially retired you sort of you hunker down a little bit and and we live in you know a fairly quiet area you know that unless i do this work in blackpool unless i do this work in other parts of the of the north you can easily get into this sort of everything's fine you know there's there are no challenges there these sorts of things that happen in nottingham these sorts of things they don't really concern us you know because we're okay and I think it's this thing th- thing that I think I got when I went to um, Scandinavia in the summer. And you think, well, actually, there is a different way of doing this. There seems to be. That's not saying that they haven't got these challenges, but actually there's more of a support network around these things, as if society is saying these things will happen unless we actually put something in place to help them not happen, you know, to reduce the chances of them happening. Um, and, I, 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 you know, it's, it's depressing, isn't it, really? The first... The first two stories, and we're going to get now to um, the major event of the week, probably the major event of the decade. It, it, in fact, it's probably the only time in the history of of English Parliament that uh, uh, the Prime Minister or former Prime Minister um, has been um, told that they will be suspended for 90 days uh, for continual um, well, they never used the, the report. I don't know if you've read it, but it's it's a fascinating read, I have to say. Never used the word lie or lying, um, but they find a host of other words to make the same point. And actually, what is interesting is that I read in the, I think it was in the Times um, earlier this week or at the weekend, um, uh, a letter from John Clawton, the master at Eton College. Uh, oh, wow. Did you read it? I, I, for those that didn't, I'll read it. Um, Sir, whatever wider strategy Eaton adopts, the school itself will continue to educate the global elite or those who will become the global elite. Um, Because if we stayed the same since 1440, Eaton would have closed years ago. Perhaps its most important mission will be to ensure that its pupils are saved from the sense of privilege, entitlement and omniscience that can produce alumni such as Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, 
Quasi Quarteng and Ben Elliot, and thereby damage a country's very fabric. Sadly, I failed in that purpose. John Clawton, Master of Eton College, 1984 to 2001. And it made me think about... Didn't he miss Cameron off that list for some Well, reason? yeah, somebody said they... You, know, <laughs> you could have probably put a host of others in there. Um, but actually, it, it sort of made me think about um, the responsibilities you, you, you carry in, in educating young people into adulthood and all those values that you promote... Uh, within the way that you teach to ensure, with the hope that that you have an impact on parents and carers as well with that. Mm. And actually that child then takes forward, you know, the goodness and the, mm. and the sense of wanting everybody to do well, you know, uh, into the, and it's not a selfish, greedy sort of drive for personal, just personal success, that mm. it's a, a society drive to improve society is the heart of you know what a good education system is and and clearly poor old john clawton reflecting on his years as uh, uh, as the master at eton college is you know is is reflecting on the fact that perhaps we didn't do as good a job as perhaps we ought to um mm. so i mean it's it, one though isn't it frank because I mean, I haven't seen that letter, and that's fascinating. Thank you. I'll add that to the the Boris Library. Um, <laughs> but the the reflections that I have about about a, a, an evaluation of that nature is how 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 difficult it is, but how we must never lose sight of the challenge we need to provide to families as well. Sometimes, because I can remember sitting in in my head teacher office with various parents. Um, whose children had, as far as I was concerned, despite their uh, apparent middle-class affluence and attitudes, had behaved appallingly. And um, the parent then, quite rightly, you know, loving their child, and why would they not do that? And their child comes first, of course. But just refusing to accept that this behaviour was just not acceptable. Um, and I could not agree with you more about the duty that we have as civic leaders to to um, yesterday, Sasiv Lancashire, the former CEO mm. of H2 and now working at Forum Strategy, um, among other things, I think he was talking at a conference about the the role of of school leaders and trust leaders now as as civic leaders, as agents of societal improvement way beyond the school gates um a very very important debate i think that we need to continue to have mainly because i'm not quite sure who else is doing that <laughs> yes yes um and it bothers me that that discourse seems to not be occurring frequently enough yeah, yeah. I, I always remember when leaving headship the the local sandwich in a tiny village but uh the, the local sandwich shop I went in at lunchtime to to get a, a ham sandwich usually and it I, I don't know if he knew I was going or not but I, it had been announced but he's, he he looked at me he said well I'll tell you one thing you've put us on the map and I thought that was great yeah. that's lovely yeah <laughs> yeah I mean uh, hopefully it's... for the right reason <laughs> 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 Well, yeah, I mean, actually linking that, I can link that because the first, when I was um, 
working with Stan and we were seconded head teachers into the inspectorate in 1995-96. The first school that I put into special measures um, was in on the west coast of Cumbria and at the uh, uh, feedback to the, it was then the, the process was to the governors and whatever, um, the the man who ran the local um, butchers opposite the school said, well, now you've done that, you've closed my business down. A small little primary school with about 60 kids in it. it he was relying, he was, he was relying on that, on that school. Uh, for, and he was concerned that, you know, children wouldn't attend that school anymore. Um, now you can argue the rights and wrongs and we'll get onto that next, I think. But actually, at the end of the day, I, I've been so interested in that school because it was the first one. But that I don't know whether the butchers are still open, but the school certainly is. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so there is sort of some positivity in this in terms of you know, schools can survive. Um, I, th- I think, frankly, I mean, in Lancashire, there was a lot of very small schools and occasionally some had to be closed. There was one that I think had... Uh, four children in, and two of those were were relatives of the teaching staff. <laughs> children, <laughs> but the village was in uproar, even though none of the children in the school attend were from the village. Mm. The, the village children went to a different school, but there was absolute uproar that that this tiny school should be closed, uh, and it's almost a support for a philosophy that that no longer exists in, in a, a small village community. Um, but mm. you know, as I, I think the, uh, the lead person said, it would have been cheaper to helicopter the children to Eton. We talked a little bit, you talked a little bit before Debbie about Michael Wilshaw. Um, he's today announced that uh, typical, I think it's typical of Michael to say, Hey, look, I've changed my mind. You know, I, I, some other evidence is coming. He's he's announcing today, or he's announced today, support of Labour's proposal for there to be more of a scorecard approach rather than this single grade for Ofsted. I mean, somebody who's, you know, I know you're all over this because you're personally interested in it, but also somebody who's been an HMI. Mm-hmm. I wondered what your take was on the sort of seven proposals for changes to Ofsted that were announced on, on Monday. Now I've promised I won't swear. <laughs> I, won't um, I think I said to Frank in a different forum recently that I feel like someone's murdering my baby at the moment um, and I feel incredibly uh, hurt by what's happened to Ofsted in recent years um, and for me the announcement and I use that term loosely um, was nothing <laughs> really you know when you actually dissected no. what was being said it was it was just sort of something and nothing and indeed one of my very uh, close friends is a director of safeguarding in a, in a very large trust and she wrote in the times educational supplement uh, last week I think or maybe yeah sorry just immediately after the announcement um, her name is Sarah Bloomer um, a really good article, and she she wrote that her concern about the proposals with regard to the three month time to put the safeguarding and adequate judgment right proposal uh, was actually more dangerous even than the situation we live in now. In that, 
first of all, what what can you turn around in 12 weeks? If it's particularly if it's cultural and it's much deeper than um, maybe, you know, having missing columns from your single central record. But actually, her concern is that if we take the Ofsted inspection guidance for the inspection of safeguarding seriously, which I think is a fantastic document, which I know very well, um, then you, you simply can't you can't do that. Um, for me, though, I, I worry that Ofsted inspects safeguarding at all. So there you go. Let's chuck that. Oh, well, I was worried then because I thought, I thought <laughs> it's definitely Ofsted's job to do that. No, no. I mean, uh, my no. view is, is always that it, that should be an, an annual audit. I don't see yeah. how you can argue that yeah. Ofsted should do it. <clears throat> when then Ofsted don't come for three or four years, because if something's wrong, it has to be dealt with immediately. Indeed. In, in, and the last time I checked, the, the framework was called an education inspection framework. Yeah. Not a safeguarding or a social care yeah. inspection framework. So, But, of course, if you know, if you say that in public forums, oh, you don't care about children, you don't want mm. to keep children safe, oh, yes, I do, I think we'll keep them safer by Ofsted not getting involved in all of this. And apart from anything else, how much of the Ofsted workforce actually is able to effectively inspect? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? That's, I think this is this focus on it now has revealed is starting to reveal significant weaknesses in some colleagues' understanding of the range of processes. I mean, mm-hmm. I think people think that oh, there must be a national system that's used, you know. But actually, if you're if you're working out of region or uh, in a in a in a trust that uses a, a system you're not familiar with, it must it must be an quite a lot of time just getting your head around how all these things are fitting together. There probably is a, a thing that fits it together, but it takes you a, a little bit of time to work that out, you know, if, you have, if you're not familiar with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I... Would it be much easier, though, if there was an annual audit undertaken by experts in the field yeah. and that report was, was shared with Ofsted at the point of inspection, the most recent, most recent audit, mostly I would include then the most uh, recent financial audit. Yeah. Yes. yes. Because those are things that can be done by experts that don't need Ofsted. To, all Ofsted need to do is look at the report and say, oh, yeah, the report says that financially everything's in order. So put that, put the tick in the box and, and move on. Yeah. And let's look at teaching and learning and let's celebrate yeah, some of the strengths. The thing is, though, is that a lot of the things that are affecting schools are, are not reported by inspectors Indeed. i think that's the thing that i found you know this big picture idea you you can't if you're not going to write about limited finances about how, how difficult it is to recruit there are perhaps even issues around um attendance suspensions exclusions you know morale if you're not going to write about that yeah. you've, you've really got sort of a, a, a report that can't look at the big picture yeah. If you're not going to write about it, and, and actually then I think, and this is where I think the chief inspector's got herself in a in a pickle, is unlike Michael Wilshaw, who I think probably would have told the secretary of state that, that that's not going to work on my, on it, it, while I'm chief, that's not going to work. You know, we've got a fairly compliant um, HMCI, and if we're going to hold truth to power and, and report to parliament, which is, you know, what they they used to do that and it used to mean quite a lot 
But if actually what we're going to report on is stuff that actually is the less contentious stuff, the stuff that really people should know about, but could be a little bit embarrassing to the government, you know. Um, well, we're actually reporting on compliance, aren't we? That, that's what the Ofsted report now does. These are the things that the DFE have said should and could be done. So we check to see if, you, if you're complying with those. Whether or not the evidence to support them that they're the best thing to do for children seems to be irrelevant now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're now got, we've now got a view of what the curriculum looks like, and therefore we judge against our view of what the curriculum should look like. Mm-hmm. Not, as I did, and I know you, you did, was what are the outcomes of this curriculum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if we're not careful, we'll never have the entrepreneurial schools who find something that, that makes a big difference because yeah. we're all too busy complying yeah. with what yeah. somebody else's idea is. Or undermines the, the message that's being driven by you know, some czar or whatever, you yeah. know, or some group, you know. Um, yeah, yeah I, th- I think... I, I find myself in my current work um, when I'm supporting schools through inspections and I, I witnessed the, and obviously I'm, you know, I'm the silent person in the corner in these situations, but, and I witnessed these kind of Kafka-esque conversations about curriculum with, let behind the ears, ECTs are in their second year of teaching and have got a, you know, have got a B.Ed. It, it is, it is absolutely not fair at all on key elements of the education workforce Never mind the fact that we're asking the wrong questions about the wrong information. Um, and I've witnessed, Stan, um, inspectors say, I'm not going to look at outcomes at all. So so one school recently was uh, send, send provision was, was investigated. And the meeting with the SENCO was, was good. So it started off with, you know, talking about um, identification effective identification, populating of the register, monitoring of of monitoring of, of uh, quality first teaching um, and local authority relationships and all the things you would expect to see. And then I thought, oh, they'll go on to outcomes in a minute. And they never did. They never did. So, so, so yes. And I, I always put myself in the shoes of... How do you triangulate it? Exactly. So, so, so a year six child... Year 11 student, year 13 student. I hate to be disparaging, but I don't think they really care about their curriculum. They just want to make sure they're qualified to go on to the next stage. And that's that's a bit disparaging, and I, I perhaps shouldn't be quite so, so brusque about it. But it is, oh, we've just done a baby and bathwater thing, and it really concerns me. And yeah. it's it's a classic intellectuals framework, and it's not a pragmatic framework that as you both have said needs to flex to context and needs to flex to locality and all the things that the best fit concept tries to do yeah 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 and and, i mean mine at the moment is is small schools and deep dives special schools and deep dives nursery schools and deep dives. i mean I I I sort of say right. I I can't know enough then to to understand the subject in um a nursery school, a deep dive in a subject yeah. in, in a nursery school, which one of our or several of our nurseries have undergone recently, and it's it's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, one's still not been published yet, so I have to be careful. But I do know that the lead inspector wasn't sure how to fill in the early years bit. 
because the entire inspection of an early year setting, <laughs> he didn't know what he would put in the early years bit. I think one of the, I know that I saw a video um, this week. Uh, it's it's been around for a while, and there is um, it's a table tennis match between sort of quite an elderly guy who obviously played table tennis for years, and and a much younger guy who's playing table tennis against him and the the elderly guy is just standing there and he's just going like this and the the other guy on the other side and the rally goes through about 40 shots he's tearing around all over the place you know <laughs> and actually what it is though is that it's just you know experience you know over sort of qualification and i think one of the things i gained from uh, my my time with stan um inspecting those schools in cumbria and lancashire in the mid nineties, but then those what was it the eleven years of HMI is you just see so much more. And that actually when you're the best fit is much easier when you've got that full range. But if your understanding of of your experience of provision is so narrow, you know, and these may be very successful head teachers, but it's all come through a single trust or it's all come through the same area, the same town, the same sorts of communities. Actually, you put yourself outside the uh, the radar, you know, on the radar screen, you're well out of your comfort zone. You know, so I I, I feel that we, you know, we, we need to re reestablish that HMI um, standard and, and actually make sure that the people that are inspecting have got a sufficiently wide experience and not just on the qualification, you know, yeah. outstanding, outstanding head teacher of, yeah. uh, or a chief executive of the favoured multi-academy trust. I mean, that in effect is not going to help you when you're inspecting a, a, a maintained nursery in Workington. It's probably not going to help us, you much. It takes us to the workforce conversation again, doesn't it? Because I recently had reason just to check the HMI person spec Um and the person spec has reflected, I suppose, in some ways, the change in the workforce in education outside Ofsted, whereby salaries of mm. heads and um, others, of course, have accelerated in relation, uh, in comparison to um, HMI. So as a result of that, I guess, we now have a situation where HMIs can be even ahead of departments in a secondary well, school. Well, I, I mean, I'm I, staggered by I, it. I know, I, I'm not going to mention this person's name, um, but I'm going to tell you now that this is a person who's who's not got a senior middle leadership role in a primary school, right? And saw the recent HMI advert and came, approached me to say, do you think I'd get it? Now, she, she, I, I, I was flabbergasted, you know, and, and, and tried to encourage her not to bother, you know. But actually that application that that process they're scraping so low down you know i mean i'm not seeing the barrel at the lowest this is not about quality this is just about that experience you know uh, if if that's if that advert is suggesting that somebody with that level of um experience and knowledge thinks they can apply now i suspect they wouldn't get the job don't get me wrong but but the, yeah. you know imagine reading that I, I think we were probably that's probably not a job for me if the hmi advert said that i think i'd probably think well but for uh, me it was always the pinnacle it was the 
Yeah, I was going to say when you when and I don't think anybody in teaching plans the career as well as this, but but the sort of progression was teacher, deputy, head teacher, local authority mm-hmm. advisor, HMI. Yeah. That, that was that was the the route, and it was the route off to university to do teacher training if you yeah. wanted to do more academic <laughs> stuff. You know, there was always that route. Yeah. Now, yeah. what is the route yeah. then? Well, it looks like it's teacher to HMI if you want yeah. to go that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and I guess it given given that context, the the grave concern I have, hence the murdering of my baby uh, metaphor, is that is that. Um, we have such a high stake system that we are giving apparently significant power to really quite inexperienced people yeah. to make these life changing judgments for communities, which is really, really quite quite scary. Um, so, back, the first question was, what about the announcement? The announcement is 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 I hope the beginning of the conversation, and and I'm delighted the Education Select Committee. Yeah. Of announced that they wish to hold a wider review which can only be a good thing in my view and i'm pleased that a group of former hmi have agreed to come together to make a submission to the select committee um, because i think it's better that that's done as a group of people as opposed to it being done on an individual basis and uh, having having submitted various um uh, uh, reports to select committees You've, it's only they they so heavily focus on the the comments made by people who sit in front of them, so they very rarely reference you know uh, a, a written submission. It's a, it's, a, it's a significant weakness, I think, in the process. But they are drawn by the face to face conversations with people. So obviously, we're going to do our best to try and get in front of that select committee if we can. But anyway, yes. Debbie. We always end these conversations with if there was one thing that you wanted to do to change, what would it be? Oh, gosh, how long have you got? <laughs> um, I, I uh, remain very concerned about the way in which wider accountability works in our country in the education system, because it disin- disenfranchises so many young people. Um and also, of course, can be uh, a bit of a bullet for our profession. So I'm thinking, for example, the nonsense of average scores and the use mm. of progress aid and the lack of contextual information. You remember the old, lovely, good old contextual value added data sets? They were flawed. Wow. At least they were an attempt to try to recognise context. So I think that I'd like to see some significant conversations around the way in which the Northern Powerhouse, for example, have begun talking about how how they could reform the way in which accountability could become more meaningful and actually more accurate as well. Because at the moment, I just don't think it gives us a real flavour of what the nation's children are actually capable of. Um, all of the nation's children. So that would be my a little bit techy and geeky. I'm sorry, but I think no, no, that's fine. No. Because I think the problem is when you say that out loud, you're immediately accused of of lowering standards yeah. and and not it's not fair for you know you're making you're putting a glass ceiling on what these children can achieve, and I'll guarantee that anybody who has that approach has never worked in in a school in a disadvantaged area, yeah, and and see what you can achieve, but some things are not achievable. 
Yeah. And um, also, things well, are progressive. Yeah. You know, as if the system favours those who already got the advantages. And sometimes we need a mechanism which actually identifies children's progress and also the progress of schools in a more granular way. Because when, I mean, you can get, I mean, I can tell you now, I could probably turn a school around in a couple of years, but I'd probably have to dismiss all the stuff and, and change everything, probably get rid of some of the kids. You know, but I can do that. But actually, that's not for me. That's not good stuff for society. We need a, a mechanism that identifies improvements both in the organization and and in the children and actually celebrate that because as was it Nelson Mandela or somebody said, you know, the, the long journey begins with the first step. You know, I mean, we've, we've just lost it. We feel as though you've got to have achieved it, you know, uh, and if you haven't achieved it, then you're less than good. Yeah. Actually, we're just, we're just wiping out loads of, loads of potential in young people you know and I, and I worry how insular we we seem to have become in the last sort of 20 years or so I mean let's not have the the b word conversation but I, I worry about the insularity and the yeah. fact that even the department for education ignores its own international evidence around accountability and regulatory systems um and I just think we miss tricks when we when we don't look at our international neighbors closely and think about well, why, why, why do countries like Scandinavia have less crime and smaller prison populations? And well, I think we probably all know why, but let's just try to learn from those jurisdictions, right? Yeah, and there, and there lies some very painful messages for the government. I'm afraid, really. Anyway, I'm wearing my Ukraine T-shirt. It's a what? It's a That's Ukraine T-shirt. Respect, so, Mr. Norris. Respect. Yeah. So, um, and actually, I think uh, I, I really want to, the reason I wore it is that we've tried before to try and get some, uh, a couple of, or at least one currently serving Ukrainian teacher to come and join our chat. Um, not, it's just to get a, an understanding about you know, what sort of challenges are you facing on a day-to-day -day basis in your school, not to get into the politics around um, Ukraine and, and Russia, but just to get a sense of that. So I've worn it today. Um, and, and a plea to anybody who knows anybody who could connect us with somebody in uh, a Ukrainian school uh, so we can chat about some of those challenges and, and how their young people are feeling, how they're feeling. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you know anybody who can connect us, we've tried a couple before which have, uh, have landed, uh, have fallen. You know, they've just not uh, reached where we want to get somebody. So if you know of anybody, please, can you reach out to us and uh, connect us with them? We'd love to have them on as a guest. Mm -hmm. So, Debbie, thank you so much for your time. Thank it's been a slightly longer thank chat, you. which I've really enjoyed. Uh, and uh, I think Boris Johnson got off lightly there. <laughs> would you have made it would you have made it i mean i would have, no, i thought just, also i think 90 days just to say it's, like, it's edition 154 and and of 130 of those we must have had a big thing about truth and honesty and, <laughs> and it was the big one but there were more things that we needed to I talk know, about i know yeah it's it's it's, it's interesting the way that they're trying to, you know, it, it's pretty shameful, though, isn't it? the fact that you you agree to this this committee, 
yeah. and then when you don't get what you want, you 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 call it a kangaroo but court. I think if we're honest, though, Frank, that that's what everybody does, isn't it? I mean, I'll probably annoy a lot of head teachers now, but I don't know a school that's outstanding that didn't have a really thorough inspection. Yeah. really harsh. <laughs> I don't know a school that got into trouble that didn't have a useless team inspecting them. So, yeah. so you know, we're, we're, we're all in that. Every every interview that I've not got, it's definitely been the fault of the panel not understanding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, at least we've ended with a smile. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. Th- thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Stan. And uh, uh, all being well, we'll be back uh, next Friday for the next edition of oh, the Frank and Stan chat. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you.